This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. So here we go. Here's 14 money goals to accomplish before you're 40. dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're going to be answering two questions from the Marriage, Kids, and Money community. And after our questions, we're highlighting another Money Master of the Week. And last but not least, for our FinTech Spotlight segment this month, we're going to feature Shobin Ural from Lively. Shobin's going to talk to us about the wonderful triple tax advantage that comes with an HSA. Yes, the health savings account. My friends, this is an incredible way for you to invest for your future health and wealth. All right, let's jump into today's show. Our first question of the month comes in from Anonymous from Cleveland. Hi, Andy. I just finished reading an article of yours about paying off your mortgage early. Congratulations on that. I have a 30-year mortgage, and I'm not sure if I want to pay it off, but it got me thinking about where I should be with my financial goals. I'm 35, married, two kids. I want to make sure I'm on track. What financial goals should I have checked off my list by the time I turn 40? Do you have any articles on that? (laughs) Thanks, Anonymous. Anonymous, thank you so much for connecting. I don't have any specific articles on that, but hey, let's do that right now. (laughs) I'm glad the mortgage article got you thinking about your financial goals. You know, paying off your mortgage, it's it's not for everyone. It's a little crazy. It's a little cuckoo. But, um, you know, there's some folks that uh, would prefer to use their money to invest, you know, given the differences in the potential interest rate that you'd get. But anyway, to each their own, no big deal. Mortgage freedom aside, my friend, your question is fun and it got me thinking. So there are so many things that could qualify as a smart money move before you're 40. And what I'm going to do is list a bunch of them for you to consider. And not all of them are going to fit your situation. So keep that in mind. I don't know a lot about what's going on with your personal goals, your debts, your investments, different things like that. Uh, So if, if you're looking for some generic goals to shoot for, let's have some fun with it, right? So, you know, pick the ones you like and leave the rest. But to support me in my answer to you, these responses, I've asked the incredible money minds of the FinCon community to weigh in with their thoughts as well. What, what's FinCon, you, you might ask, right? Well, FinCon is a community, a conference, and generally just a group of money-smart nerds that are on a mission to help you, Anonymous, win with money. And if you want to connect with any of these super smart money geniuses, I will have all of their links in the show notes at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 128. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 128. So here we go. Here's 14 money goals to accomplish before you're 40. And the first one comes in from Amy White from dailysuccessfulliving.com. Hi, Andy. I love your question. I think that the number one thing that you need to be doing prior to reaching the age 40 is to learn to pay yourself first. I am a huge, huge believer that if you can go through and get in the habit as young as possible of setting aside 5%, 10%, 15% of your income and putting it towards your retirement, towards debt reduction, um, 
towards having fun. I mean, it doesn't really matter, but if you can get in the habit of always putting aside a portion of your income every single time you're paid, you will get so much further ahead than everybody else that I know. So anyway, hope that works for you. Uh, This is Amy White with Daily Successful Living. Have a great day. Thanks. Excellent advice, Amy. Thank you very much. Our second money goal to hit before you're 40 comes from certified financial education instructor, Cassandra Dacent. Hello, my name is Cassandra Dacent. My one financial tip that I suggest people strive to complete by the age of 40 is without a doubt to establish a healthy emergency savings fund. This fund serves as a layer of protection between you and unexpected events, such as a job loss, a medical condition that requires the immediate outlay of a high deductible or dealing with an emergency travel situation such as the loss of a parent or friend or other family member. So what this does is not only to help you react from a strong financial position, but also from an emotional standpoint so that you are able to navigate the stress that comes with unexpected situations And it gives you a greater peace of mind knowing that you can financially react positively to a negative situation. My website address is www.kassandradacent.com. Thank you and have a good day. Thank you very much, Cassandra. I appreciate you chiming in and supporting this mission here. Previous guest, host of the Richer Soul podcast and multimillionaire dad, Rocky Lavani. He's going to share our third tip. Hey, it's Rocky from Richer Soul, answering your question on the one money goal that I should have completed before I'm 40 and why. I think the number one thing you can do is to automate all of your savings and automate your debt payoff. By automating them, you never have to worry about them and their goal is always achieved. In addition, you need to automate the decision points of when you increase savings as well as when you pay off debt to take the amount you were spending for debt and automatically add it to your savings rates. By constantly building wealth and staying out of debt, over time, compounding works. I've made so many money mistakes over my life. It's amazing that that one simple principle has allowed me to become a multimillionaire. Hope that helps. If you have more questions, let me know. Thank you so much, Rocky. I appreciate you jumping in. It's great to hear your voice again. And our fourth money goal to accomplish before you're 40 comes in from financial independence blogger Riley Adams from youngandtheinvested.com. And since he's a blogger, he wrote in and he says, by 40, you should become student debt free. He goes on by saying, carrying this high cost debt for multiple years can be costly and take away from money needed elsewhere in your financial plans. These payments take away from retirement savings, raising a family, and affording a comfortable lifestyle. It also adds an ongoing burden requiring you to pay for an investment in your education made almost two decades prior assuming you completed a traditional four-year college degree directly following high school. That's a good money tip, Riley. Thank you very much. I completely agree. Student loans can be a major drag on our ability to build wealth and just our general freedom. So I say crush them. (laughs) All right. Amanda Grossman, who is also a certified financial education instructor, And she also writes for this great blog called frugalconfessions.com. She's going to share our fifth tip. And she also wrote in, she says, reassess your retirement's asset allocations. Now that sounds really complicated, she says, but it means that you're no longer 20 or 30. At each major age milestone, you need to take a look at how much of your retirement is in stocks versus bonds. Going over your asset allocations in your retirement accounts at various age milestones is super important to do, she says. Let's just say you don't want to be close to retirement age and get wiped out due to another crash like 2008 because you're overinvested in stocks. That's great. I I appreciate that advice here, Amanda. Great addition here. Number six, let's move on to the sixth money goal before you're 40. This one comes in from Raj Chavda 
who blogs over at parentingfi.com. That's like parenting financial independence. Very cool. Right up my alley, Raj. (laughs) Raj says, your goal should be knowing your true retirement figure based on expenses, not income. He says, it's hard to end up at a point if you don't know what the point is. <laughs> makes a lot of sense. For me, which is for him, <laughs> he thinks having a third of his retirement savings at a minimum says that you've been socking away more than the average person that when the time comes, compounding is going to work for you and get you the rest of the way there. So great addition there, Raj. Thank you very much. Number seven, and that's going to come from fiduciary CFP certified financial planner, Andy Wong from the Inspired Money podcast. He's going to jump in here for our seventh. Take it away, Andy. If you're working, odds are that your employer offers you a 401k retirement plan. You want to participate because of taxes. First, your contributions are tax deductible. The money you contribute does not count toward your gross income for the year. Lowering your taxable income means you'll owe less taxes. Second, your money in the plan grows tax deferred. If you saved money in a savings account or brokerage account, you would have to pay taxes on the interest or dividends at the end of the year. With a 401k plan, you don't pay taxes until you take the money out. Your savings grow faster this way. I want your goal to be maxing out your contributions, meaning you want to save as much as possible. The contribution limit in 2019 is $19,000. If you cannot max out your 401k right now, aim to save at least enough to get the match. Many employers offer a match, which means that dollar for dollar, you can double your money. If your company matches up to 6%, make sure you're contributing 6%. That's free money. Go review and update your 401k because it's automatic. Every paycheck you're saving before you can even spend it. I'm Andy Wong from the Inspired Money Podcast. Good luck. I love it, Andy. Great addition. Thank you very much. Number eight here comes from Logan Alec, who is a CPA, and he also writes for MoneyDoneRight.com. Hey, this is Logan Alec. I'm a CPA, and I own the personal finance blog, MoneyDoneRight.com. One financial goal you should shoot for by the time you turn 40 is to be in a place in your financial situation where you can max out your retirement accounts. See, 20 or 30 years from now, you want to be able to retire and enjoy your later years without financial worry or care. And not only that, you also want to be a financial blessing, not a burden to your adult children if you have them. And the way you get there when you're 60 or 70 is by committing yourself now at the age of 40 to stashing away as much as possible for your retirement. You know, by the time you hit the big 4-0, you've had at least 10, maybe even 20 years of career experience under your belt, and you're very likely approaching your peak earning years. So if you've played your cards right, hopefully by the time you turn 40, you've been able to craft a financial situation for yourself where you can max out that 401k if your employer offers one. For 2019, the limit is $19,000, and you could potentially put in even more if you're self-employed and have a solo 401k. And let's not forget about IRAs as well. You can max out both a 401k and an IRA in the same year. Depending on your income level and tax situation, it may make more sense for you to put money into a traditional IRA, maybe a Roth IRA. Perhaps you have to do a backdoor Roth IRA. Anyway, the limit for IRAs in 2019 is $6,000. So if you're looking 40 in the face, do what you have to do now to put as many golden eggs as possible into that retirement basket so they can grow tax-deferred or tax-free for the next 20 or 30 years until you retire. Thank you. All right. Moving right along. Our ninth money goal before you're 40 comes in from founder and president of Atlas Financial Strategies, Andrew Martin. I'm Andrew Martin, founder and president of Atlas Financial Strategies. I provide fee-based financial planning and wealth management for individuals and businesses. So Andy reached out to me and asked me to answer the question, what is something that people should make sure to have done before reaching the age of 40? So one thing that I think is important to do before you reach the age of 40 is start to diversify beyond your 401k or IRA. So I'm, you know, I do wealth management. I'm a big fan of investing in the stock market, but one of the bigger mistakes I see people make is only having one type of asset class, only investing in stocks or bonds or mutual funds or whatever it is, and not owning other types of assets like real estate or, you know, some other types of non-correlated assets. So 
you know, most people's plan is I'm going to put my money into my 401k or IRA, I'm going to invest in the market, I'm going to retire, and then I'm just going to leave it invested and pull money out per month as I need it. That is fraught with risks, right? So you should own multiple types of assets. Everything should be done, should be coordinated in such a way that everything complements one another, um, you know, giving consideration to your risk profile and your investment objectives and time horizon and so on. Uh, but again, I think that diversifying beyond your 401k or IRA is very important as long as it is um, in line with your overall goals. So I hope this helps. If you have any questions, please let me know. Have a good day. I love that. Makes a lot of sense. Diversify, diversify, diversify. Lucky number 10 is shared by real estate investor Rachel Hernandez from one of the top 20 real estate blogs as voted by Bigger Pockets, which is adventuresinmobilehomes.com. So Rachel, she writes in and gives the advice to Anonymous that they should have other streams of income that do not depend solely on your job. She goes on by saying, if for some reason you get laid off or lose your job in the future, you will have other streams of income to help cover your expenses. The more streams of income you create apart from your job, the less you rely on one source of income, your employer, to pay your bills and earn a living. It's better to have multiple streams of income versus one, aka your job. I like that one a lot, Rachel. That's something I'm working on right now. I was a until about a couple of years ago, just a single source income dude. So now we're diversifying. I like that one a lot. And it complements really well with where Andrew's head was with the last voicemail. All right. The former investment banker, now blogger, known as Millionaire Mob, he's going to share our 11th tip for Anonymous here. And he goes on by saying, one goal should be to own a business by age 40. Very cool. The autonomy, financial freedom, and work-life balance of owning a business can make your life and work the same as one. You can truly do what you love. Owning a business allows for you to have complete flexibility in your work-life balance. In addition, owning a business can challenge you professionally more than anything else you will learn working for the man, quote-unquote. <laughs> Very cool. Great tip. I love it. It's all about diversification again and challenging yourself with a new business. All right. Number 12 here, financial independence blogger Jarek from timeinthemarket.com. He's going to chime in with number 12 here. And that is simply to have a will. He goes on to say, for most people, by the time you get into your 40s, you have some assets collected. However, you also might have a wife or kids, like our friend Anonymous does, um, or some other dependents, and it's important that there's a clear and direct path to let the people you love easily get access to your assets if something goes awry. Very, very good point. I think this is um, often probably not shared because it's not super sexy like investing or things like that, but man, it is good to have your have a will and your affairs in order. All right, lucky number 13 comes in from Brandon Opry from Trust Tree Financial, and he's got a voicemail for us. Hi, my name is Brandon Opry, and I run a firm called Trust Tree Financial, and we help people save, invest, and work towards financial freedom. My advice for people as they turn age 40 is to have three times their salary saved for retirement. So let's use simple numbers and say that when you turn 40, you're making $100,000. Three times 100000 means you should have $300,000 saved by that point. Ideally, you'd have more, but I think three times salary is a nice barometer for that age. And don't be discouraged if you're not there yet. Just know that you'll have some catching up to do. Because, for example, by the time you turn 50, you're going to want six times your income. But here's why I think three times your income is a nice goal to have by age 40. The income you're making now is something you're already accustomed to living on. So it's probably a good indication of the style of living you're going to have in retirement. And if you're investing it wisely, it could very well double every 10 years. So your 300000 today should be over a million by age 60. Assuming you continue to make more income and save more, 
this nest egg will eventually get to a point where you can start to draw from it and live on it. Now, just like any strategy, there are pros and cons and other factors which can affect your success. But I think if you use these rules of thumb, it should help hold you accountable and ensure that you're on the right path. Good luck. Awesome. 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 I love it, Brandon. Thank you. And just to let everybody know, Brandon manages an awesome charity and it is called A Prom to Remember. I checked out this website. Super inspiring. Their mission is to provide the ultimate prom experience for teens who are afflicted with cancer. I think that is absolutely incredible. And that's why I'm going to finish off the list with number 14. And number 14 comes in from from me. (laughs) And that is to find a charity that inspires you and give. Anonymous. This has been fun. We went through 13 of them. And uh, this one I want to I talk to you about a little bit. So earning money, uh, investing money, and saving money, all these things we talked about today, they are super important. And they're a whole lot of fun too. But giving it away can be lots of fun too. By 40, I would encourage you to seek out a charity that really inspires you. You know, a cause that that lights you up. Whether it's the, you know, the environment endangered species or, you know, kids affected by childhood cancer, find your charity and give. To hopefully inspire some action and also thank Brandon for contributing today, I have donated $50 to A Prompt to Remember because I love charities that focus on giving kids a better shot at life. After all, they are truly our future. And that's really what these 14 points are all about, Anonymous. Investing in our future. Thanks a lot for writing in. We'll be back to the show after a word from our sponsor. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work-optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? (laughs) If you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. And use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. 
Thanks for checking out our sponsors, everyone. Let's jump back into the show. And for our second question of the month, it's one actually I've been receiving a lot lately. And that question is, Andy, why are you buying your first rental property in cash instead of taking out a mortgage? That is a good question and a fun one for me to think about. So, yeah, often I, you know, talk to people at work or I talk to people, you know, just on social media and I mention our plans and just get a lot of questions on why we're going that approach. Not necessarily judgmental or anything, just more curious. And I, honestly, I'm still learning, so I could be dead wrong in our approach, our thoughts, our plans. I've never been a real estate investor before. All of my knowledge comes from things that I've listened to or I've read or conversations I've had with other investors. And, you know, on the podcast, I've had the opportunity to interview around a dozen real estate investors now over the past couple of years that I've been doing the show. I, I absolutely love those conversations, by the way, because it's it's like I'm a sponge just soaking up all of this real estate knowledge from these super smart investor gurus. <laughs> and I've, I've probably read maybe a half a dozen books on real estate. Love the bigger pockets, guys. Um, I've really enjoyed, uh, you know, Chad Carson's book. I also had him on the show. Anyway, lots of motivating stories, great examples, and just tactics to safely plan our first purchase. And, you know, with, with all of those folks that I've talked to and the books that I've read, I still really like buying it all in cash. It's, um, it just feels like it's the right thing to do. So I'm going to share seven reasons why that we're going this way. Number one, no closing costs. With the typical mortgage process, you're going to pay lender fees, appraisal fees, and maybe points on your overall loan. When you don't have a loan, there's no loan fees. Isn't that, isn't that magical? <laughs> there's no bank to deal with, and there's no application process. So that's that's number one. Number two, no mortgage payments. With no mortgage process, there's also no mortgage. <laughs> I will never have to pay interest payments to the bank. There will be no principal that I'm working hard to pay down over the years. Zero payments whatsoever. All right, number three, it helps in a competitive market. The housing market where I live in Metro Detroit, and actually probably in the vast majority of the country right now, is super, super hot. And you know, I talked to couples who are putting offers in way above the asking price and they're like still not getting the house. I want to have an advantage in this process. So if I'm going in as an all cash buyer, I'll be the more favorable party to consider for the seller. I'll be more favorable because they'll be able to close faster and they won't have to worry about me getting approved by the bank. And I might even get a deal because I'm buying in cash. Who knows, right? All right, so that was number three. Number four, more cash flow. Without a mortgage, more of the rent is going directly into our family's pockets. So let's use this as an example, right? So let's say, and this is actually pretty pretty comparable to the ranges we're looking in. Let's say we're looking to get an $80,000 house and we put... 20,000 bucks into it to make it nice and livable for our new tenants. And we're able to get a thousand bucks per month or $12,000 per year. So using the quick and dirty 50% rule, which I've learned from all these super cool people I've talked to, I can assume that we'll shell out around 500 bucks per month for expenses like property management, taxes, insurance, maintenance, you know, vacancies, things like that. So that takes our profit to 500 bucks per month or $6,000 per year. 
Now, if we had a mortgage on the property, that might just wipe out most of our annual profits. But lucky for future us, no mortgage, more cash flow. So that's number four. Number five, less stress. I bring this up a lot, but I'm really all about just reducing the stress in my life. I don't want another mortgage. I am done with them. The one that I had recently made me feel stressed, and I just don't want to. I don't want to add that onto my life. Without a mortgage, I'll be able to rest easy if we don't have a tenant for a few months, or you know, there's some fixes that need to happen, and we need to use some of our dough. I'll be able to feel confident knowing that I've purchased an investment that will more than likely rise in value around 3% per year, and we own it outright. So that's number five, less stress. And then number six, it will pay dividends. Not metaphorically, like literally. Each month, we'll receive a consistent payment on our property. Then we can make a choice with that money to reinvest the dividends or use them to fund our lifestyle. So we could reinvest by, you know, buying more properties, or we can simply live off the money that's coming from this house or in the future, hopefully, these houses. All right, the last one, number seven here, my wife likes it. (laughs) You know, have you heard the saying, happy wife, happy life? (laughs) No, honestly, this one might be the most important uh, choice of all these of these seven here. Nicole really enjoys this completely debt-free lifestyle we've created for our family, and I do too. You know, since we paid off our primary home mortgage in 2017, she's really gotten used to having more cash and zero payments. And I love making my wife happy. That is the that's just the recipe for a good life, my friends. She's my partner and the love of my life. And we're on this crazy ride together. So if it's what Nicole likes, then I'm into. And it's what I like. So it, it just it just seems to work out. So those are my seven reasons to go all cash with our first rental property. I'll repeat those. Number one, no closing costs. Number two, no mortgage payments. Number three, It helps in a competitive market. Number four, more cash flow. Number five, less stress. Number six, it literally pays dividends. And then number seven, my wife likes it. Again, you know, going through all these things here, I am a complete newbie. Just want to admit that. I am not sure if what we are doing is the smart move, quote unquote. But you know what? It feels right for us. And at the end of the day, Isn't that really all that matters? That being said, I'm always up for learning. So if you have some advice or you think what I'm doing is crazy, I would love to hear your thoughts. And if you have a question for me, you can do the same thing. You can contact me at Andy at marriagekidsandmoney.com or leave me a voicemail at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash voicemail because these questions are super fun to answer and it really gives me a great way to connect with you all. And I I hope it helps you as well. Now it's time to announce the Money Masters of the Week. Kyle and Whitney from Kansas, they recently got their mortgage principal under the $100,000 mark for the first time. And they are loving being in this five-figure land. (laughs) They paid off $88,000 on their principal the principal of their mortgage in just 32 months. That is some serious work. So they were, I mean, it looks like they were close to the $200,000 mark for their mortgage. That's about where we were when we started our pay down process too. So Kyle and Whitney, we were in the same boat and I can feel your joy coming through this email. So I asked Kyle how they have done this because we want to inspire others to do the same. Here are the top three things that I pulled out of his email when he wrote back to me. So the first thing is teamwork and financial transparency with his wife, who he says has been on board since day one. Very cool. The second thing he said is setting smaller short-term goals Within the monster goal 
has been a great way to go. And I, I love this. I love this one. I, I've done the same thing. I set big goals for the year and then I have mini goals under them and it helps keep me motivated. And what they've done is they celebrate each $10,000 mark that they pay down and they make it fun. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing here, the last one is dedicating all of their income, including bonuses and commissions above the monthly expenses of which they have mortgage, you know, bills, groceries, transportation, et cetera. They, they supply all of that directly towards the mortgage principal. He also said he's got a, a brother-in-law who's providing him encouragement and coaching along his journey. And that's really cool to have somebody that you know in your life that you could talk to about money. And it's just great. He's got a mentor and just like a, you know, a guiding light. Well, so Kyle, I just wanted to let you know your story is also going to be motivating. It's also going to be that guiding light for others who are on this journey. So please keep it up and please, please, please contact me when you pay this bad boy off because I want to interview you for our Mortgage Freedom Series and highlight all of the great stuff that you have done for your family. Kyle and Whitney, thank you so much for sharing your big news with us today and congratulations for being our Money Masters of the Week. Do you have a recent financial victory that you want to share on the show? I would love to hear it. Please email me at andy at marriagekidsandmoney.com or leave me a voicemail at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash voicemail. I'd love to hear from you. Spotlight segment this month, we are featuring Lively, a modern health savings account platform designed to help you save for healthcare expenses. I've invited the co-founder and COO of Lively, Shobin Yaralal, to tell us more about this intuitive HSA solution. We're also going to discuss the benefits of an HSA and how it protects our families. Welcome to the show, Shobin. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, Shobin, I'm going to go a little 101 with you on the HSA thing here. Could you just tell us what an HSA is? Yeah, you bet. Well, why don't we start with the acronym itself? So, an HSA is a health savings account, um, and it's intended to be exactly what it sounds like. It's a, a personal savings account for your health care expenses, but it carries a couple of very unique benefits. So, it's actually the most powerful savings vehicle in America today. It's a triple tax advantage savings vehicle. Um, so money goes in, if you're getting it through your employer, um, typically goes in on a pre-tax basis. But uh, if you're an individual, you can actually contribute directly into your account and the contributions are tax deductible. Funds in your account grow through interest or potentially investment gains, and all of those uh, accumulated interest and gains are also tax-free. And unlike a 401k where you have to wait until retirement to pull out your funds tax-free, you can actually access your money at any point in time, and it remains tax-free so long as you're using it for qualified medical expenses. Wow. Okay. I like that. Tax-free, tax benefits. Who wants to pay taxes, right? Anyway. <laughs> so so who is eligible for an HSA then? It's not for everybody, right? Uh, that is correct. So uh, according to the IRS, uh, HSA eligibility uh, is really coupled with your health insurance plan itself. So um, anyone who is covered under a qualifying high deductible health plan can uh, is eligible to open up and contribute into an HSA account. Okay. So if I'm not doing a high deductible health plan right now, but yep. I have that option at my office, mm -hmm. what are the advantages of me maybe looking at a HDHP? Yeah, you bet. So, um, you know, a lot of people, it, it, the terminology that the industry uses, it's actually a lot more scary than, um, uh, than a lot of people think, right? Um, first of all, the average deductible in America today is greater than what the IRS definition is for a quote unquote high deductible health plan. So, um, you know, insurance kind of operates the same across every single industry, right? The higher the deductible for any kind of coverage, the lower your monthly premiums are going to be. One of the great things uh, that happened uh, several years back when Obamacare got put into place was almost every plan in America today has what's called an annual out-of-pocket maximum. So what that means is 
anytime you get an insurance plan, you're capped in terms of what you can be expected to pay as a consumer. So all it's really doing is it is shifting the cost from traditional payers, such as health insurance companies and, and employers, to consumers. And typically what happens is that the first X amount of dollars is expected to be paid by the consumer before the insurance company kicks in. So when you think about the benefits of a high deductible health plan, well, if you know, there, there are a number of people who can really benefit from it, especially those who are not going to the doctor all the time and they're leading a fairly healthy lifestyle, why pay for a coverage that you're never going to use? You'd rather take a higher deductible because you're never really going to use that anyway. Um, save more money in your pocket because you're paying less from a uh, monthly premium perspective. Um, but you also have the inherent protection of if anything were to happen that your health plan kind of caps you out in terms of what you can be expected to pay. So um, that's kind of one example. Um, and if you, one of the powerful things about the HSA is it actually doesn't matter if you switch health insurance carriers or plans, the HSA stays with you for life, right? And so if you're in a part of your life where you can accumulate a balance, well, you're essentially building a nest egg that you can use for future healthcare expenses. And that's something that's incredibly powerful, especially when it relates to your healthcare. Okay, so what expenses can I use this for? Is it for is it for certain things? I'm not allowed to do it for certain things. You know how these things work. You want to make sure people understand what yeah. they can actually use it for. So can you give us examples of what I could use my uh, HSA funds for? Yeah, you bet. So um, the reality is that there is a very long list of what you can use your funds for. Uh, it's actually uh, uh, the IRS has a publication 502 that actually lists out all of the things that are eligible. Generally speaking, you can use your expenses for, uh, I'm sorry, your funds for anything that is medically necessary. So if you have co-pays after you hit your deductible, uh, co-insurance, uh, things that uh, the HSA can also go to cover things like your vision expenses and your dental expenses as well. Um, so if you're going for that annual uh, checkup, um, you can use your HSA funds to cover that. Um, but it also includes, you know, emergency visits, x-rays, uh, prescriptions that uh, your doctor might prescribe to you, uh, pharmacy-related expenses. There's a pretty broad range for what's included. Then you have a probably a longer list of what could be considered eligible. So these are expenses, I'll give you an example, uh, a massage. Uh, a massage may not be seen as something that is medically necessary, but if you have a chronic back condition, for example, and you go to your doctor and the doctor says, hey, you should go get a massage to treat your medical condition, that expense with a letter of medical necessity would be considered eligible by the IRS. Um, and then on uh, another example is, let's say you get your health insurance through your employer, you leave that employer for one reason or another, um, and you have to go on COBRA. Those COBRA premiums are also uh, HSA eligible. So it really becomes this great life planning tool because, you know, as individuals, we're always going in and out of companies thinking about change. Um, but the HSA is this powerful tool that you get to use that underpins all of it. Tell us the difference between an FSA and an HSA. We've get those options at our offices. I want to make sure people understand the difference. Yeah, you bet. So the HSA, as I mentioned before, is coupled with a qualifying high deductible health plan, whereas the flexible spending account can be used across uh, all insurance plans. However, there are some serious limitations to the FSA. So the FSA is the flexible spending account. Um, this account is actually, it's not owned by you as the individual. It's actually owned by your employer. So if you're not getting health insurance through, uh, through a traditional source like your employer, you don't even have the ability to open up an uh, FSA. Um, the FSA is use it or lose it money. So it's really, um, you know, I think you get to put in upwards of $2,600 into the account, but you have to elect how much you think you'll need at the beginning of the year. And if you don't use that money, it just goes back to the company that you're getting the FSA with. Um, so unlike an HSA where, one, you own the account 
and these funds stay with you for life until you use them. Um, there are some kind of, uh, and the contribution limits for an FSA are indeed lower than that of an HSA. Okay. And another big difference, which I'd love to talk to you about now is the ability to invest your funds. So talk to us about how I can invest the money I'm putting in my HSA. Yeah. So, you know, there are about 2000 providers of HSAs in America today, and the vast majority of them do not give investment options. So I would encourage anyone kind of listening to this. If investments are a key part of your long-term saving strategy, you want to work with a provider that at least gives you the capability to put your money to work over a longer period of time. So what the IRS says is that because this is an account that you own and the unused funds roll over from year to year, you can actually invest in just about anything you want. Um, so stocks, bonds, CDs, mutual funds, ETFs, um, it's the whole gamut for what might be available with any investment platform uh, that's available to you. Um, you know, the things that we always recommend is watch out for fees. Uh, investments, as you know, is a very fee-ridden industry, and we um, we always try and help people put their money to work over a longer period of time, uh, and we try and enable that through software and technology, et cetera. But, um, but yeah, I mean, inherently, there is no limitation to what you can invest in. It just depends on who your HSA provider allows for investment capabilities. Okay. Let's say I'm able to invest through my HSA for provider. Um, how do I then use that money that I've invested when healthcare costs come up? Yeah, great question. So there are really two ways you can do that, right? One is, um, if you want to tap into those funds immediately, you can liquidate, uh, kind of what you have invested, move them back into cash, and then it becomes available for you to use on your debit card, for example. Um, here's one of the most powerful things about an HSA that very few people know. There's actually no time frame for you to reimburse yourself for a qualified medical expense. What that means is if you have the means to pay out of pocket for an expense, you can actually, so for example, use a credit card or you use uh, cash or some other mechanism, right? You can uh, log that expense because it's reimbursable. It, you did it after you established your HSA account. You can continue letting your money go to work over time. So let's say you continue doing this, and in 20 years from now, you have accumulated a much bigger balance because you're letting this money go to work. At that point, with a click of a button, you can reimburse yourself for those actual medical expenses that you incurred over that 20-year period. It's, it's one of the most unbelievable advantage, advantages of having an HSA account that very, very few people know about. I feel like this is one of those secrets of the wealthy conversations right now, because it's true. I mean, you can you you pay those costs and then you're investing whatever you maybe make seven eight percent over the years and right. that grows and then you can just take that money out 20 years later tax-free right. right yep exactly and you know at that point in time because you're just reimbursing yourself when you take those funds out you can you know you can use it for a down payment on your house or your kids college education i mean what you can use it for that's completely outside the purview of the irs what they care about is that you're reimbursing yourself for actual medical expenses uh, incurred over that time period so you want to keep those receipts you want to scan them digitally or something like that right for that for that time in the future yeah, you bet. What one of the you know the HSA is great in that it's inherently flexible for you as the consumer, right? Um, you don't have to prove to your HSA provider that these expenses were for qualified medical expenses. However, it's important that you do hold on to the receipts and documents because, in the unlikely event of an IRS audit, you will need to prove to them that two things, that when you make contributions into your HSA account, you are actually eligible to do so. And um, the expenses that you incurred were indeed qualified medical expenses. Excellent. Okay. There is one more one more question I have before we learn a little bit about Lively is that sure. if, I'm, if I'm a pretty healthy guy and I don't really have any expenses, major expenses that I want to use my HSA for, and this money just keeps building up and up and up and up and 
until I'm in my retirement age. Yep. Can I can I use that money for something else besides healthcare expenses? Yeah, you bet. So, um, you know, Andy, one thing, if y- if you know anyone who gets past 65 and does not have medical expenses, I would like to get connected to that person. You want their so book, can, right? You want, yeah, it, you want exactly. to listen to their podcast. <laughs> uh, no, but in all seriousness, once you turn 65 years old, you can actually use this account for any expenses whatsoever. It does. It is not limited to medical expenses. And at that point, all you're doing is paying ordinary income taxes. So it actually functions very similar to an IRA or 401k um, with, uh, in regards to that. So, you know, what we always say is think about the HSA in conjunction with all of the other retirement options that you have. Uh, it may make sense to max out your HSA because worst case scenario is that it operates just like every other uh, retirement product that's out there. I love it. I love it. This this is the uh, this is the good stuff, everybody. You're doing your 401k. You're doing your IRA. If you're looking for another savings vehicle, another investment vehicle, HSA is a great place to look. So let's talk about Lively as a partner. So what makes Lively different from the other HSA providers? You touched a little bit about fees and things like that. Yeah. T- talk to us about your about your solution. Yeah, you bet. So, you know, we we actually came to market about two years ago. So in March of 2017, we launched our first HSA into the market. It was largely in a beta capacity. Um, and for about six months, we were heads down um, building out our investment capabilities. So in October of 2017, we announced a partnership with TD Ameritrade and their self-directed brokerage platform for which Lively is integrated into. Um you know, I, I think I mentioned earlier on the show that there are over 2,000 providers of HSAs in America, and they have all grown by focusing on the employer um, and not on the individual consumer. We actually flipped that on its head a little bit, and we said we care about the individual consumer and their experience. So what the kinds of, you know, we've used technology focused on user experience and software to focus on giving the consumer the best experience possible. And part of that is actually being a very low cost provider. Um, So the way, you know, we get a lot of questions, how can you guys afford to be a no fee provider when the rest of the market can't do that? And it's very simple. We use technology. So we own our technology from beginning to end. We don't white label any third party software where there is inherent cost. And our belief is that the people who are struggling the most are the people trying to save for their just ongoing healthcare expenses. So whatever little money they have in their account, we don't feel it's our resp- uh, our right to be able to charge them simply for the right to save money. So um, that's kind of our mantra. Um, we've gone to market that way and we've had uh, great reception. So no fees, great customer service, uh, re- a real focus on customer experience and intuitive software. To us, that's kind of what sets us apart. So, but we're a capitalist country and we want you to survive yes. and we want you to be a good, we want, your, we want this company to keep living and doing well of while course. we're investing our money with you. How, how do you guys make money then? Yeah, you bet. So uh, there are uh, a couple of ways, right? Uh, And yes, you are right. We are not a not-for-profit company. Uh, And fortunately, part of how we have set up our business model, uh, it's something that um, the the unit economics for us is very favorable in terms of how we're set up. So one, we do focus most of our outbound attention on selling to employers who do pay us a monthly administrative fee to uh, uh, give HSA accounts to their employees. Um, The second is because we are issuing the debit card as well, um, there's a portion of the spend that uh, the Visa and MasterCard network actually pay back to the issuing entity. Uh, So because we are the issuing entity, we're able to actually make money on the transactions that do occur. And that's charged Um, to the... the when merchant. making the transaction, the merchant. Got it. Okay. That, that is correct. Um, so that is a very established practice in, you know, credit cards, debit cards, kind of throughout the entire world. Um, and really, it comes back to the cost piece, right? Um, because we've been able to squeeze out the costs that other people have, um, we've just passed those savings on to the individual consumer. Um, and, you know, we can build a really profitable business by focusing on those other revenue streams. I mean, I'm not fighting free, man. So like you guys, you guys rock it. It works for me. I just want to make sure you guys are getting your piece too. So <laughs> no, no, I, 
I hear you. We know what we're doing. Okay. So let's talk about the investment side of things. So uh, total transparency, everybody. I am a, uh, a customer of Lively. Uh, we're also affiliate partners, so I, I have a vetted interest in you know this conversation. But I'm also uh, a user of this uh, this service, and I love it a lot. So I wanted to talk to you guys and share this information with you, uh, and also learn a little bit from Shobin as well. So how how what what happens when I invest my money with TD Ameritrade with you guys? How much does that then cost the consumer? Yeah. So this is. Uh up until December of 2018, uh, it cost $2.50 per month to access investments. Um, we actually made the decision as an organization um, to drop that fee completely. So now, if you want to access investments with TD Ameritrade, it is completely free. You don't pay lively anything. Now, you still have fees in terms of the brokerage fees that apply, but that's kind of an industry standard, and that's paid directly to TD Ameritrade. Um, for us, we announced a, uh, back in October, we announced a $11 million uh, Series A financing round. And what we've been able to do, that $2.50 monthly fee was a cost that we had in terms of the integration, which when we raised that round of financing, we were able to further reduce that uh, uh, the cost that we have so that we just simply pass that kind of savings back to our consumers. So for us, we are very proud to say that we are truly a no-fee HSA provider, that we don't nickel and dime you for anything whatsoever. And if you look at some of TD Ameritrade's no-fee or low-fee ETFs, this could be a fee-less process as Correct. well. Correct. So. Yep, I'm, I am uh, a user as well. Um, I invest uh, a portion of my funds, and the majority of that is sitting in no-cost ETFs. And so for me, it's I am optimizing uh, my portfolio around that. So Excellent. So how do you guys keep our information safe? Uh, we, we, we provide you our, our key data, our investment stuff. How, how are you guys keeping that safe for people? Yeah, you bet. So when we think about security, there are two things that jump uh, jump out, right? One is protecting your money and protecting your data. And we take both of that extremely seriously. So from the data perspective, um, we do all the things that uh, that the, the, the bigger banks do. So um, we are compartmentalizing your data in a way that gives you bank level security. So AES 256 kind of encrypting data across when we transmit that data and when it is stored, it's always encrypted. Um, we also restrict access to who has production data on a need-to-know basis within our organization. So from a pure process perspective, um, we are applying that both internally and externally. Um, let's say in a worst-case scenario, right, we get this question all the time. You guys are a startup. What happens if you go bankrupt, right? I love getting that question, by the way. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, we take uh, our the cash funds that sit uh, in the cash portion of the account. Uh, they're actually held with our bank partner, Choice Financial. And because of that, all of the accounts are FDIC insured. When you move the funds from the cash account into the TD Ameritrade investment account, um, the same level of investment insurance applies. So all of those funds are SIPC insured as well. So no matter where your funds sit, um, they are protected uh, and backed at the end of the day by the U.S. government. That's excellent. Okay, so there's somebody listening right now, and they say, all right, I am digging what you're talking about with the HSA. Sounds like a great solution for me. Where where should somebody go just to kind of learn a little bit more, not necessarily about Lively, but just to investigate if the HSA is something they can even do? Should they go to their HR rep? Should they? What, what do you think the best route would be? Yeah, so there's a lot of um, information out on the web about the general benefits of HSAs. Um, you know, part of what we see our role in the market is not just to be a no-fee provider, but also to help educate the consumer, um, because there's a wide spectrum of, you know, who you are. You might want to invest your funds, you may want to save your funds, you may want to spend your funds, and our jobs is to help you get the most out of your HSA, regardless of what bucket you fit into. So, you know, I'm biased. We have a very robust blog. We have a, a, a resources center on our site that helps people, you know, the 101, the 201, and the 301 of HSAs. Um, but outside of Lively, 
Um, there is a site called hsasearch.com. Um, they actually will rank and provide a lot of different user-rated uh, feedback for um, I, I believe there are about six or 700 different HSA providers who are there. It's a really good independent source. Um, it's run by the industry-leading research firm called Devonier. So that's a site that a lot of people go to. Um, you know, and then there are plenty of folks just like yourself who like to uh, kind of evaluate different options in the market and will rate them. Um, but if you are an employee and your employer offers any kind of benefits, um, your employer administrator should definitely be someone that you talk to about potentially uh, either HSAs or offering a high deductible health plan. I think you know, oftentimes employers don't realize what they're giving up by not offering something as opposed to thinking they're offering the best health insurance, but best, quote unquote, if I'm not using it, how do you qualify whether it's good or bad, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, to your point on um, outside evaluations and people, you know, ranking the different HSA providers that are out there, I found your your service through uh, one of the previous guests of, of this show, Robert Farrington, who wrote uh, wrote a nice piece comparing Lively as well as um, HSA Bank and some other providers out there. And that's how I came to the conclusion to work with you guys as my partner. So uh, very to your cool. point, people are out there talking good things. Um, I'm one of them today. So thank you very much, uh, Shobin, for joining us. Hey, everybody. So as a customer, um, also become an affiliate uh, of, of Lively. So if you want to support this show and support Lively and check them out, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Lively. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Lively. And you will learn more about how you can take advantage of this super powerful investing tool that helps you invest for your future as well as your health. So Shobin, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Oh, you bet, Andy. Thank you. This is a lot of fun. Another show, another dose of motivation for your family financial journey. We learned some goals to shoot for before 40. I reviewed my motivation for going mortgage-free with our first rental. Kyle and Whitney shared their mortgage destruction plans. And Shobin shared how we can grab that triple tax advantage with an HSA. I suppose if there's a theme to all this craziness today... I would say that it's probably mm, when we're truly intentional with our money, we can accomplish some amazing things. You'll find all the links and resources for today's show at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 128. This includes a full written version of today's show. So check it out again, marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 128. As a quick reminder, this show is for entertainment purposes only, my friends. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation. Before we go for the day, I'd like to ask you to do any one of these three things to support this show. Number one, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. So we're hanging out every week. Number two, share this episode with a friend who is approaching 40 or looking into rental properties, wants to pay off their mortgage, or just simply wants to learn the magical powers of an HSA. They will thank you and I will too. And then number three, leave me a review in Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Those reviews help more people find this show. So we received eight reviews since last month's giveaway offer for Grant Sabatier's new book, Financial Freedom. And today we're going to choose our winner. And to help me do this, just like last month, I have my assistant, my special daughter, Zoe Hill, to help me. How are you today, Mrs. Zoe Hill? I am great. Oh, I'm so glad to be doing this with you and have some fun. So are you ready to rock? And uh, this this week, we are not using Alexa. We are using a different device. So Zoe, we have eight entries, entry uh, eight reviews. So ask Google what you're going to do. Hey, Google, pick a number between one and eight. Okay. Two. Two. Okay. So our second review comes in from Veronica Michelle Ochoa, and we're going to have Zoe read it. Here we go. A five-stop podcast through and through. 
from excellent sound quality to understanding, relatable guests, and very informative websites. I'm a show note donkey. Great job, Andy. Keep the great episodes coming. That was awesome. Thank you so much, Zoe, for reading that review. And thank you, Veronica, for supporting the show and leaving that awesome review. So we are going to send you Grant Sabatier's new book, Financial Freedom. And Zoe, I think she's going to develop a beautiful piece of custom artwork to send your way as well. Is that right, Zoe? Of course. Awesome. Well, we can't wait to send that to you in the mail. Veronica will be reaching out to you via email. And if you want to leave a review and have Zoe read it on live podcast air, I don't know if that's not even a real thing, but she'll read it and we will randomly pick your name with Alexa or or Google, probably Google. We like Google, right? Uh-huh. It's because it makes that fancy noise. Wait, we like that fancy noise. So if you want to do that, please leave a review in Apple Podcasts and we will go through the process and then make sure to take a picture of that review and email me at andy at marriagekidsandmoney.com. And this month, this upcoming month, we are going to be giving away one of three books, Unshakable by Tony Robbins, Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey, or The Five Love Languages by Dr. Gary Chapman. So take advantage of it. Hang out with Zoe and I. We really appreciate your support. This month on the show, we've got an incredible lineup. Next Monday, April 8th, we got Nick Loper from the popular Side Hustle Nation blog. He's going to join us and share how we can make more money and have some fun with a side hustle. The week after that, we're going to have a special Family Fi episode where I talk about our family's plans for financial independence. And we'll hear from Jim White, who's recently achieved financial independence for his family. The week after that, April 22nd, we've got Andy Wong from Inspired Money, who you guys heard a little bit earlier today. He's going to join us and talk about how we can invest for our family's future. And then the last Monday of the month, we've got author and Bigger Pockets co-host David Green. He's going to join us and talk about the benefits of the Burr strategy when it comes to investing in real estate. March was our best month for downloads yet. And April, this April that we just talked about, is going to be even better. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Frederick Douglass. If there is no struggle, there is no progress. Put in the work and get the reward, my friends. Carpe diem. One last reminder before we go, I am doing a meetup this Wednesday in Naperville, Illinois at Jackson Avenue Pub from 4.30 to 6.30 on Wednesday, April 3rd. If you want to join us, go to facebook.com slash andyhillmkm. That's facebook.com slash andyhillmkm. And in the events tab, you will find our get together. So if you're from Chicago and you want to meet up, have a beer, talk money for a little bit. That'd be great. Hopefully see you soon.